It's game week. I'm Rusty, joined by Ifo Bumae. We are potting to preview an Oregon football game. Okay, that's enough of that. I've had that stuff in my head all week. You get the point. I've been. I played a knuck if you buck a few times yesterday. Oh man, I might have to break out some wolf mother soon. Um. So I can't. I can't wait. We're finally here. We're here, and right now we're recording this Tuesday night. This will go up Wednesday morning. Uh, but we're four days from football at the time it's recorded. By the time you're listening to this, we're gonna be three days away. We're so close. Cliff Harris days away. We're gonna be Cliff Harris Did Cliff days Harris away. Uh, he did. He wore number thirteen and then wore number three. That's right. Okay. I'm so scared to look up pictures of him because of his. Oh God, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Oh. Oh God, I can't. It's I can't do a Google search for him. Everything I'm looking at says that he only wore thirteen. Okay. Well, never mind. Let's uh, let's move on to happier days. Who's another famous three that we had? Uh, Joey Harrington. There we go. Yeah, he's kind of a big deal. Obviously. Yeah, I can't look for Cliff Harris on the images at all because otherwise I just see his mug shots and those are scary. Vernon Adams is another beloved one. Yeah. Yeah. Vernon Adams is also really nice quarterback to have. Fan uh, favorite, uh, Dior Mathis. Dior Mathis. One of the fastest straight line speed guys, but not that's, great hit. That's one of the guys that never panned out that I thought really would. Yeah, that's college for you. All right, we're already off pace. All right, so uh, Oregon is taking on the Southern Utah Thunderbirds in the Big Sky Conference. So, after they play us on September 2nd, they'll play SF Austin, and that will be the last broadcast game that they play. Then they play Northern Iowa, Sacramento State, Cal Poly, Weber State, Eastern Washington, Northern Colorado, North Dakota. UC Davis in Northern Arizona. So basically, you will see all these teams play the first two weeks of the season on TV, and then they just play in their own division, and we never see them again. Yeah, I mean, this... Uh, let's be real. Um, this is a tune-up game. This is a game that everybody will be excited about because it's the first game of the Taggart era, um, and we get to see how the offense is going in this new kind of Gulf Coast offense, if you want to call it that, even though now we're in Oregon. I don't know if uh, that means anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, what does that mean? I don't know, man. Time is just like a construct. <laughs> it's a flat circle, man. Um, I'm, I'm very excited to see, A, how our young freshman wide receivers do – really our freshmen across the board. Um, But then also I'm excited to see how Jim Levitt's defensive philosophy kind of goes through in in week one. I don't think we're going to be showing like everything right up the back because we follow up this week with hosting Nebraska, which is a big game. Um, But but this should give us a hint as to kind of what the – ethos of this team is going to be um fun fact though it, before we move on and just completely dismiss southern utah um oh we're going to talk said, about southern utah they they do return a lot of experience especially in their front seven on yeah. the on the defensive side of the ball so it'll actually be interesting to see what they can do schematically um to throw little curveballs at our offensive line, at our running backs, especially at, at Justin Herbert, and see how he does. Um, a, a fun little fact: 
that we would definitely use if this was a rivalry game that I found you know, while I was doing research on Southern Utah is on their athletic department website, they post the phone number of their head coach, which does not seem like it's an ideal thing to do. They should just be lucky that they're not Washington because we would flood that with calls right now. Maybe it's like a like a P.O. box cell phone number. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't have a specific address, but, like, maybe he doesn't check them. What you're saying is maybe it's just a burner? Yeah. It's a trap phone. Fair. What are, what are you looking forward to this week, other than just the fact that football is back? Um, I'm excited to see how everything looks. You know what I mean? Like, uh... Yeah, jerseys, totally. <laughs> jerseys. Apparent word on the street is they're going to be the and based off of the the images that we've seen um some of the players take their team photos and it's going to be the actual tops of the mascot jerseys. So the ones that we wore against Colorado are going to be the what? base. I'm not. I'm not opposed to that. I, love I that like color. it. It's definitely the more like classic of all the looks, unintentionally, because it's the candy apple green with the uh, yellow stripes on the side and kind of like the mascot head where the TV numbers are. So, I mean, it's pretty much like the most traditional one, I guess, if you want to call it that. I would love, even though. We've been seeing a lot of photos of us wearing white helmets with green O's in the practice reports. I would love if we came out in the all green, a la the Rose Bowl. That that would make me really happy. That would be cool. And I know that they, the players will wear the helmets, will wear like the new helmets the week of the game because they have to break it in. So I do think it's going to be white helmets. I agree. I think you're probably right. Anyway, I got you sidetracked. What are you looking for uh, for this week? Oh, uh, to see, basically, see the offense and the defense. Because we're going back to a 3-4 from a 4-3. And I think we're going to see some of the some of the offense get opened up a little bit more. And we can actually compare. We can actually get a feeling if one group is much better than the other because they're not going to be playing against each other. Like in some spring games, it's like, oh, well, the offense is doing really well. We don't know if the offense is really good or if the defense is really bad. Turns out in most seasons, it's both. Um, the last couple of years, it's both. Um, but when they're playing against somebody else, we get a better feel of how they are relative to each other. And on defense, like, we get to see it basically the two-gaps game. Like, I'm excited to see how the defensive line play, um, how aggressive the secondary is on pressing at the line, which I know Levitt liked to do at Colorado a lot, although he had older players um, to do that. So, I don't know. I have no idea what to expect, really. I feel like I have no idea what to expect because there's only 15 practices that went to the spring game. It's like nothing. I agree. You know, it, there's only so much film that you can watch on um, on how Taggart's offenses have done were at USF and how Levitt's defenses performed at CU. Um, I think another thing that makes that makes there be more questions about what we're actually going to look like is the fact that Taggart over his career has been pretty flexible in terms of his offensive strategy. Yeah. Um, we know it's going to be him calling the plays, and we know the strength of our offense, at least on paper right now, is obviously in the running game. Um, yeah. But over his career, I mean, if you look what he did at USF versus what he did at Stanford, they're two almost completely different offenses. Yeah. So it's pretty clear that he tailors what he calls to the strength of his players. So it'll be interesting to see how that differs from what he did at USF based on the current roster that we have. 
Yeah, and I mean, his offense at USF pretty much ran entirely through Quentin Flowers. He was an absolute baller. Um, so maybe that's a situation where the quarterback also makes the coach, if I'm going to be pessimistic about the whole thing. Um, but I don't think we're going to see the same type of play because while Herbert is more athletic than I think a lot of people anticipate, there are... He, he and Flowers are not the same type of player. His strength is really thinking through a defense. <laughs> really picking apart. Player's coach. In the film room all the time. Real, no, real, coach's kid. In the film room all the time. Real gym rat. Yeah, you know, I would say the the main thing that I'm most excited to see is a couple things. On the offensive side of the ball, I'm most excited to see the progression that Herbert has made from year one to year two. Yep. Um, I'm excited to see his timing with a bunch of new wide receivers because as much as I am going to love seeing Tyrell Crosby back on the line and I'm going to love seeing a, a healthy Royce Freeman, we know what those guys can do. The unknown yeah. right now is who on the wide receivers can step up and just how much of a leap Herbert has made on the offensive side of the ball. On the defensive side of the ball, honestly, I know it's kind of cliche because there are bright, new, shiny toys, but I want to see the freshman. I want to see Fat Mac. I want to see Thomas Graham Jr. I love Fat Mac. I want to see Troy Dye moving inside to middle linebacker. Um, and this is actually kind of a more schematic thing that I'm interested to see. Uh, I'm interested to see how Kalana Apelu operates at the inside linebacker spot when he's pretty undersized to be a, a Mike linebacker. Um, oh, he weighs less than some of our safeties. Especially against a, a defensive front seven that's very experienced in Southern Utah. Now, obviously, they're not as talented as the guys that we have on our squad, but they are really um, talented. They bring back a guy who just finished who had like 150 tackles in 2014. So yeah. um, I think it'll be interesting to see how, how those guys fit into these new schemes. Yeah. And I mean, it's definitely, while talent does matter a ton in college football when you get to like the championship levels there's a reason why teams that are really junior and senior heavy are the best because they just have more experience um and so even though just because of southern utah's like experience they're going to be able to do a lot more like schematic stuff or maybe like more difficult stuff uh to to handle that that makes them like a dangerous opponent still so, and, you know, going back, they played Utah. They played Utah last year. They played BYU last year. BYU last year. Um, and they pretty much didn't do well at all. Like, they lost to Utah 24 to 0. And then, yeah, and then BYU 37 to 17. But I think this is a, it is a team because it is so much more experienced. And they're coming in against a team playing with an entirely new coaching staff all across the board. Um, that, you know, there is a chance that in the off chance that Oregon doesn't come ready to play, that they'll stay competitive through the game. I think that's very unlikely, but I think there's a possibility. Boy, I hope not. That would be real. That depressing. would be such a downer. <laughs> So let me ask you this. That's, that's kind of a good segue. What is your – what would be your definition of success for week one other than just a win? I would like to see – I'd like to force some turnovers. Like force two turnovers, 
No turnovers, no turnovers ourselves. Have their third down conversion rate be 20% or less. Hold them to no more. Like, just no more than 20 points. And that's accounting for backups being in most of the game. Or like half the game. The biggest thing is just on defense. That's really my biggest thing. Offense is going to be fine. Offense has always been fine. It's really the defense that I'm like watching the closest. Yeah, I agree with that with the one caveat that I want to see how the timing is between Herbert and the new wide receivers. Because other than Charles Nelson, none of our receivers have any sort of meaningful playing time. Yeah. So, um, you know, obviously that will get better as the season goes on. And, um, I mean, right now on the depth chart, I think we have what nine receivers listed at, at our three wide receiver spots with all the fours. So that'll get better as that rotation kind of slims down over the course of the season. Um, I agree with everything you said, but I want to see some sort of connections uh, between Herbert and the wide receivers, especially on routes that are like outbreaking routes, those difficult to make timing ones where if you mess up the timing and Herbert throws behind somebody or somebody's late to make a cut, that's really pretty much a pick six at that point. Yeah. So that, I mean, that would be really be my definition of success is good timing, uh, offensive lines showing continuity, because at this point, our offensive line, in my opinion, should really be one of the strengths of our team over this season. Yep. Um, and then on defensively, I agree on the turnovers. I don't want to see us just flying around. Um, we are, we should be more talented than this team on the defensive end of the ball. Well, we definitely so, are. On paper, so, at least. You know, having fun, play aggressive, force some turnovers, and make some, just do something cool. Yeah. I agree. I agree. So what do you think about the, um, speaking of the two deep, what do you think about the two deep? It just came out... Let's see. Today is Tuesday. It came out yesterday. Yeah. Um, well, uh, kind of officially today, but it came out yesterday. What were some of the things that stood out to you? Kind of what What do you think is going to shake out on a 2D? Um, what surprised me was to not see Pagano on it. I don't know why that surprised me. Actually, I guess I was just bummed. Cause, yeah. I mean, he's played in big games before, so I'm not concerned about him just like jumping in like I would I mean, a he, junior college he, transfer. He, he has the walking boot for like three weeks, right? Right. Well, I think he got his walking boot off last week. Gotcha. So it's like him and Malik Young that are – who's the G- JC transfer – who we're kind of waiting on on the defensive line. But Pagano's played in huge games and stuff, so I'm not worried about him. It's the Juco guy I'm worried about getting up to speed. Um, I'm sure Pagano could just jump in whatever and be fine. Um, but I was... I don't know if surprise is the right word, but... I was happy to see Taylor Alley in the second spot at quarterback. Granted, it's an or with Braxton Burnmeister, but you can definitely tell that the coaches want to keep a retro on Braxton if they can. And it sounds like Taylor Alley has kept it close. And again, I think that goes to Taylor Alley being a senior and Braxton Burmeister being a freshman to where he's able to keep that second spot, basically, or have it be close enough. Yeah, I think that's a good sign. Um, that's something that we talked about at the last pod, how ideally, just reading between the lines, 
we think it would probably be the best if Burmeister was to redshirt this year, um, just because of our lack of QD, QB depth. Yeah. Uh, so that's a good sign. The the biggest standouts to me were obviously um, the lack of Tyree Robinson and the lack of Brady Breeze, which uh, Fake News Rob explained that they were healing up. They had been uh, injured. So it, I think it will be interesting. Um, Khalil Oliver has played a lot over the last couple of years, um, but a name that we really haven't seen – pretty much since he was recruited out of Louisiana was Matrell McGraw, who's in, in line to be the starting safety. And so, you know who had a hot take about him? Pharaoh. Pharaoh Brown. Uh, I think he's a little on the fence about the last coaching staff. He, he was like lukewarm. <laughs> it was, uh, it's, it's tough to read some of this stuff. I think we may have talked about this on a podcast, or maybe this is one one of the things we talked about once we stopped recording and congratulate ourselves on what a great episode we did. Um, <laughs> Break out the champagne. Yeah. Um, but is talking about how we hear all this stuff from, like, players, like, like with Farrell Brown, it was like, oh, they actually like care about us and stuff, and it's like, ugh. And it's kind of like, I like, we're young enough to where we basically grew up with these coaches. Like these coaches were there when I started being like a Duck fan, pretty much. And it's almost like someone's talking badly about like a friend of yours. <laughs> like that's how that's how I kind of feel. Where it's like. I don't know about that. Like, we're definitely, yeah. It's so the 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 tweet in question that we're talking about um, after the two deep came out. Uh, Farrell Brown. Let me let me. I want to try and find the exact quote because I don't want to be unfair. Uh, Farrell Brown. So, quote, he said, I was never going back to Eugene because of how fouled coaches and staff treated me and my teammates when it was time to leave. Um, so I agree. I mean, hearing something like that, it's kind of like a like a jilted ex-lover syndrome or something, you know? Um, but going back to our, our first point, it'll be interesting to see Matrell McGraw, who is now a junior, who came in as a really highly rated recruit, uh, see how he plays because we really haven't seen anything of him, even really in spring games since he since he stepped on campus. So I feel like anytime a coaching staff turnover turns over, there's always guys who may have done really well with the previous staff that transfer out, and then guys who really needed a change and just didn't vibe with the old staff and get a fresh start with a new staff and they turn over a new leaf. And he may be one of those guys. Now, you know, when Tyree Robinson and Brady Breeze get back healthy, it seems like they'll probably end up being the starters. Um, but if he plays well in this game against Southern Utah, then that may start things rolling for him to at least be a solid contributor coming off the bench uh, over the course of this season and then next year into his senior Yeah. Yeah, that's one guy that surprised me. And um, Ty Griffin is a defensive back that made a really strong push this fall camp. Um, Thomas Graham is the number one in the OR with Ugo Amadi. Um, and then, yeah, on the other side, it's Arian Springs and then Lenore or Ty Griffin. And Ty Griffin is a guy who's been, like, considered the most athletic person on the team but just didn't develop the skills or whatever for defensive back. And well, and remember, when he transferred to, to Oregon originally... He was a quarterback. He, he was a quarterback at Georgia Tech. So, um, you know, he he's definitely athletic, but it's... 
you can't just it's like McGregor trying to to pick up boxing you know you can't just do it right up um, we we saw that on Saturday yeah all he did better than I think anybody expected I agree any I, reasonable person would have expected I think overall this two deep really it kind of fits with with our pod from last week about how we kind of thought things would stack up with the exception of the safety spots, which are due to injury. Um, you know, ideally we were talking about, uh, being coming off the bench and being the nickel guy since most defenses are kind of turning to nickel as a base defense. Now Uh we talked about Henry Mondu starting. We talked about Jordan Scott starting, um, this pretty much seems like it's uh, relatively true to what was expected um, within reason. There's always a, a couple exceptions, but, um, man, I'm just excited to see Duck football again. It's It's been way too long, especially with, you know, no bowl game last year to, to shorten that, that offseason. Yeah. Um. Another thing. Oh, Fotu won, uh, is the number one in the or for the duck position. Can't wait. Which is, so which is really just a like fancy way to put a spin on a position that is incredibly regular now, which is the hybrid safety linebacker. It's, it's just the havoc costing position. And based on his high school tape, there is not anyone on the planet that is made better than Fotu Leatu at causing havoc. Yeah, his. I mean, if you haven't seen his highlight, his uh, high school highlight tape is just ridiculous. Although he's probably best known now for uh, basically flying down on kickoff with his hair flowing in the wind behind. It's just glorious. It's great. Yeah, and he gets after people too. He blows people up. There was a few games last year where he was just getting like completely chip sh- cheap shotted after the plays by other teams after he'd just been like bowling over them. So plays what do we? Um, we kind of went over week one, at least in terms of Ducks for Southern Utah. What do you? What's your outlook for the entire season? I mean, we've touched on this before when we had the new coaching staff and that type of thing, what, what success for you? And what do you think, what do you think is going to happen? Success to me is six wins or beating Washington. And or. And or. Um, I mean, I, th- Last year's team was going to make a bowl game this year. I'm very confident in saying that. So I know there's a coaching transition and everything, but they should be able to make a bowl game. Um, and just to show, like, competency on defense. On the whole. So... Um, basically not looking embarrassing. Like limiting the amount of plays where it's like, what was happening? Really setting the bar high, Rusty. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's my- pretty much where I'm at. It's really, and then also too. Oh, one of the things I'm excited to look at is the more downhill running style that the that Cristobal has put in and Taggart. But basically, instead of going from the like the outside zone read and those types of plays to. Um, going towards more of like the SEC Big Ten like we're just going to go downhill and just pick up yards every running play yeah I'm definitely excited about the um, how should I put it that FU running style yeah I'm excited about that Um, the Marshawn Lynch running style exactly I, I would and say over and over in, and over. in terms of win totals for me, 
uh, I would say seven wins, I think, is completely reasonable looking at the schedule. Um, seeing that we, in the Southern Division, we don't play USC, which is the juggernaut out of the South. Yeah. Um, at least early on, honestly, our schedule is not that bad. Southern Utah, I think everyone would agree, is a win. We're favored against Nebraska. By way too much. It was like six and a half, seven points last time I saw. Yeah, I, I think that's going to be a tighter game than, than the spread right now. But it is at home. I I would think that we win that game. Um, you know, who knows? It makes me a little bit nervous. It's definitely our marquee non-conference game. Um, against Wyoming, I was more nervous about that. But Wyoming's top wide receiver just got hurt for like six weeks. Yeah. Um, so it's me a little bit more calm. And then after that, once we get into conference play, we go against Arizona State. At Arizona State, where weird things happen, but they are not a very good team. We host Cal. They're not a very good team. They're not. I really think the defining feature of this season are going to be the next five games, uh, the start of October through November, where we play Washington State, Stanford, UCLA, Utah, and UW five in a row. Um, Because, honestly, if we can make it winning two out of those five or three out of those five if we're really lucky that sets up for an eight and four season a seven and three season um or seven you know whatever i'm not good at math yeah uh, you get what i'm saying um so win total for me i think a successful season would be seven wins but more nuanced than that I want to see kids playing hard. I want to see the downhill running style that you just talked about. Um, and most of all, I just want to see progression with yeah. so many freshmen on the two deep. There are going to be growing pains. There are going to be times where people miss assignments on deep defense or where somebody runs the wrong route and, you know, it was supposed to be a post and they run a, something else. And, you know, signals get crossed. That That's going to happen. But if this team can take those little pieces of, of adversity and play through them and develop themselves, then that'll be a successful season, regardless of whether it's a six-win season, seven-win season, whatever. As long as we see that growth, I'll be pretty happy. And it's easy to say that now when we're not in the middle of it and you're not having to deal with losses, but... Um, that's kind of my outlook on this season. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, too, seeing the next step for some people on the offense is for Royce Freeman to become much more dangerous in the passing game in terms of, like, running routes and everything. Because he showed flashes of that two years ago. We didn't see that much last year because I think of the injuries that he had. Um, and then also seeing Justin Herbert really take it to the next level where um, he can throw passes that you can't just cover with like good one-on-one man-to-man coverage. Because a lot of the times last year, he, he did really well. Like He did far better than I think anyone expected also, but a lot of the times he was passing, he had man-on-man, no help over the top coverage. Because a lot of the teams were basically daring him to throw the ball. So it's really going to see him make that progression from someone who can beat a DB one-on-one with his receiver to fitting passes into tighter windows. Um, And basically like, basically pockets in coverage um, to a receiver. Being able to pretty much force defenses to have someone over the top, and you know maybe it's one of those things where Jermaine Johnson, um, the wide receiver, or Johnny Johnson, the third, or Dylan Mitchell, um, becomes a guy who can just take the top off a of defense and really force defenses to play all the space that's behind the team. Also, and I'm excited to see Herbert really go up against some of the top quarterbacks in the conference. 
You know, I want to see him go up against Josh Rosen at UCLA. I want to see him go up against um, Jake Browning at UW. I, yeah, I want to see those type of matchups where he can go back and forth with these guys because as young as our defense is, I think it, we're certainly going to be in some shootouts sometimes. So, Oh, yeah. It'll be interesting to see how he reacts to that. Um, I, I agree on the Dylan Mitchell and, and Johnny Johnson comparison. I, I think, honestly, looking at the pro level, with those two guys, at least projections-wise, I think we have something that's kind of like what the Miami Dolphins currently have in Jarvis Landry. Um, and, of course, now I'm completely spacing his name. Guy that played at Louisville. Devontae uh, Adams. Yeah, where they have Devontae Adams and um, and Jarvis Landry. Landry being kind of a big body possession guy like Johnny Johnson and then Dylan Mitchell being that Devontae Adams style receiver that can be a boomer bust, can take something 70 yards down the field and score. Um, oh, it's Devontae Parker. Devontae you're right. Devontae Adams. Devontae, Devontae Adams. Adams is the Packers wide receiver. I get those two confused all the time. You get what I was trying to say. Yeah, you get the point. You know who we're talking about. So let me ask you this. Speaking of Dylan Mitchell and, and all of those type of guys, who is someone that is flying under the radar right now on offense and on defense that you think is going to turn into a real impact player? I mean, I've been tooting kind of in Washorn pretty much the last year. So I don't know if he counts. I'm going to stick with Kevin Wa. I think he's flying under the radar for like everybody else. I think that's fair. I mean, yeah. he's listed as third on the depth chart. It's TBJ or Benoit, but he's third. But I think he's going to have just a blowout season. I think he's just going to crush it. Okay. What about defensively? Defensively. Whew. This is a fantastic question. Um, so I have my answer on defense. Okay, uh, go. For me, and this... I feel like I'm kind of reaching out on a ledge here. Don't because say Fat Mac. No. Okay. I'm not saying Fat Mac because everybody's stoked on him because he and he's not flying under the radar. Yeah. But the person I'm thinking of is a bit undersized. I think it could rear its ugly head as we get towards the end of the season, but he's shown flashes in the past. He has a lot of talent. And I think Jalen Jelks is flying yes. under the right now and will come out and hopefully be a really strong focal point on the 3-4 defensive line because with Mondu, we know what we're getting. That guy has been solid since he stepped on the field for Oregon. With Fat Mac, I think everybody out of practice reports in the spring game has been impressed with him. I think that third defensive line spot is really kind of a question mark right now. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's up to Jelks or Drayton Carlberg to kind of grab hold of that spot. Jelks has had some substantial flashes of his talent over the last couple of years. Uh, his game against USC two years ago really stands out in my mind. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think he'll take that next step this year now being a, an upperclassman as a junior, um, I, I'm excited to see what he could do, and I think he's flying under the radar. Offensively, I think it'll be Jacob Breland uh, at the tight end spot. Yep. He's a young guy. I think he'll be the pass catcher. Um, we're Like we talked about in the last pod, I think we'll probably see a decent amount of two tight end sets, and I think he can turn into that, that safety valve for Herbert um, you know, if if their young wide receivers are covered, if we're going against some of the better defenses in the Pac-12, I think Breland could be that really nice safety valve for Herbert 
and, and can make some big plays for us. Yeah, I think the same thing of, of Breland. You know, I think Ryan Bay and Cam McCormick could also be could be guys that take the offense from, you know, a good offense to a great offense. Just having, like, that second tight end threat or having, like, a second tight end that could just really bro- – that can block really well for when teams are going to stack the box and you say, all right, we're just going to put more tight ends and if you're just going to stack the box regardless – um, but yeah, Jalen Jokes really stood out to me a lot at times last year, especially in the Virginia game. I think there was a couple other games too where I saw him put the tackle that he went up against just on roller skates. Like I think against Virginia, he literally blew the tackle up and pushed him into the quarterback. His his, his and he's check. six six. He's six six two forty five. So even though he weighs two forty five, he's got long arms. You know, we'll see how that works in a two-gap situation when he's just supposed to be taking up space. But I think him on third down could be scary. I agree. His challenge will really just be weathering the storm of the season. And especially when we're going up against teams like Stanford with, you know, 310-pound offensive linemen that can really punish you. Yeah. Seeing if he can withstand up to that, uh, that level. So who's uh, who's your other guy that's flying under the radar on defense that that you think will be an impact player? Oh, I had Jalen Jokes. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> that's my guy also. <laughs> well, there we go. We're not we're not disagreeing about anything this week. So, um, well, you picked Breland. I, I picked Benoit. Yeah, that's true. Uh, we're probably up to what, like forty forty five minutes or so on this pod. Um, okay. So here's here's my one final question. I don't know if you have anything else that you want to talk about. Not uh, about not nope. about duck football. But this but, is the dessert for everybody who made it this far. This is the dessert. But it's week one. I want I want to hear your week one hot take. What do you think is going to be just crazy in week one? Scorched earth hot take. Yes. I, I want it. All right. So with that, what is your hot take? Oh, I see. Biding time, are we? Yep. yep. All right. Here's my hot take. For week one, I think that the Mountain West Conference will be over 500 against Power 5 schools. Ooh. Well, that's that's my hot take. I'll okay. break that down for you real quick. So <laughs> okay. On, on this Friday, there are two Mountain West versus Power 5 matchups. The first is at 6 p.m. Mountain Time. So that is – I'm on the Mountain West website right now. So that's 5 p.m. Uh, Pacific. The Rocky Mountain Rumble, Rocky Mountain Showdown, Colorado versus Colorado State. I think Colorado State wins. Uh, they. You think Colorado State beats Colorado? I do. They destroyed Oregon State last year. Now, granted, uh, or not last year, last week. Now, granted, that was with the help of I think five or six turnovers by the Beavers. So oh, I don't. Beavers definitely dug the, did a fair amount of digging in their own grave on that one. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Um, so I don't think that's sustainable, but. Like I've talked about in our, our Pac-12 uh, North preview and South preview, I don't think CU is going to be anywhere near the team that they were last year with how much they've lost, especially early in the season. So I think CSU beats CU. Uh, on that same day, Utah State plays Wisconsin. Uh, I'm not picking Utah State in that game. I think Wisconsin wins. So that's one and one. Then on Saturday, September 2nd, Wyoming plays Iowa. Plays Iowa? Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. And I think Wyoming has a fair shot to uh, to pull off that upset. I, w- I would think that they would have a much better shot if they had their full wide receiver core. Um, but even so, uh, screw it. I'll pick I'll puck Wyoming over Iowa. Kirk Ferentz has, has that guaranteed contract. He's good. No big deal. Um and then Nevada against Northwestern. 
Honestly, Nevada's not that good. I think Northwest, Northwestern wins. Um, so that would be 2-2 two and two for the Mountain Western Conference against Power 5 schools. So even though it's technically not over 500, it still counts. It <laughs> still counts. That's my hot take. Oh, man. It is so hard to find a hot take out of these out of these games. Because, you know, like Alabama, like, I think Alabama's going to blow away Florida State. So your hot take is that Nick Saban will actually be... <laughs> See, but that's not a hot take. That's not a hot take. That's Nick like Saban a, will actually like room, be with how his team played. It's like room temperature. Um, I don't think I could have a hot take with Texas A&M and UCLA. Here's a hot take on Texas A&M and UCLA. I think that there will be more Aggie fans at the Rose Bowl than you. <laughs> Is that a hot take? I'm full of them right now. <laughs> I'm going full Stephen A. <laughs> full Stephen, you don't have the you don't have the voice inflection though. Stephen A. Smith. Who doesn't know? Okay, this is another digression. But Stephen A. Smith, who doesn't know anything about boxing, arguing with Teddy Atlas was one of the funniest things I've seen. That's like going to a steak place and you get a burger. <laughs> his his hands, his hand motion was like, "It's just a burger. It's just a burger." And Teddy goes, "You." He was a five-star chef who was forced to cook a hamburger. And he's just, like, shaking his face a ton. Rusty, you know no one can see you right now, right? Yeah, I know. But it's just, like, imagine just, like, a guy with a very floppy face flopping <laughs> it around. <laughs> All right. Well. Okay, okay. Here, here's my hot take. Here's my hot take. Ooh. Oh, okay, okay. I thought we weren't going to get one. Oh. I think if I had to make a hot take, I think Indiana's going to beat Ohio State. Wow. I think Indiana's going to beat Ohio State. What's the spread in that game? 17 and a half. Where is it being played? Uh, in Bloomington, Indiana. Weird things happen in Bloomington. Because here's here's what's happened. So Indiana has six returning starters back on offense. One is their quarterback and three linemen. They have nine starters back on defense. Ohio State has a bit of a coaching change. They have eight starters back on offense, seven on defense. But the last year last year, uh at Ohio State, Indiana, bowl eligible, lost by 21. But the year prior to that, pushed Ohio State to the limit at home. To the limit. Weird things happen in Bloomington. I think. I, you know, I don't think Indiana is going to beat Ohio State. But I, I kind of agree that I, I could see that um, being much closer than the 17 17- point spread i think it's if gonna I, be much closer if i was betting i would take indiana on that one um so i see where you're going with that i, I respect that hot take yeah so if i, if I have to be if i have to pick a hot take i'm already high on um indiana covering maybe pushing ohio state to the brink so you know why not say they're just gonna win yeah fair enough I mean, they pushed Nebraska to the edge. They pushed Michigan to the edge last year. So. And this is where we sign out with push it to the limit. Oh, my God. I just remember this. I remember in double overtime in 2015, they had one of the – no, that was Minnesota against Michigan last year, I think, where they come out of – they, like – had 18 seconds left. They have like 18 seconds left. And they only got one play out of it. It was ridiculous. Like, they ran up to the ball, and then with time ticking, they like do two motions, and they get one play out of it. 
It was maybe the most. I have. I had no dog in the fight, and I was furious, just at the complete ineptitude of it all. Just Jerry Kill eating his dilly bar, losing track of clock management. No, just, that wasn't Jerry Kill. That was the new coach. Was that the new coach? I always think of. I always think. Of, you're right. You're right. You're right. It was. I always think of that one photo though of the Minnesota coach with the dilly bar from Dairy Queen. <laughs> and him like holding it up in the snow while he's coaching, <laughs> and Spencer Hall tweeting out "fuck with me," <laughs> and that is why we love college football because there is no way, there's no way that that would ever happen in the NFL. Never, and high, a high school coach would take himself too seriously. Well, welcome back, college football. We missed you. We missed you so much. The National Nightmare is over. And by the National Nightmare, I mean the college football season, off-season. So, all right. That'll do it for us. Week one preview in the books. We'll be back next week. We'll recap some of uh, the week one craziness that I'm sure will happen. Um, Mountain West, two and two. Mountain West, two and two. Um, Oh, and uh, Rainbow Warriors. I found that the Hawaii football games are now going to be streamed. None of this pay-per-view crap that they were trying to pull last year. So you can stream every Hawaii game now, which is really what mattered to me most. So you can fall asleep with the rolling waves of Mauna Loa. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the cutaways are just so beautiful because they always do like the, the city cutaways wherever you are, like whenever you're at like Washington uh, I don't know why you're watching a Washington game, but if you were to, they always do cutaways to like Pike's Place, or if you go to like, if you watch like an Austin, uh, Texas game, they always do cutaways to the state capitol and everything. Watch a Hawaii game, just cutaways to the beaches. It's so it's serene. Yeah, but shout out to the guy on Periscope who broadcasted like every Hawaii game last year <laughs> to the wee hours of the morning. <laughs> you're the real MVP. Bye, y'all. All right, bye.